Hey everybody, today in the Multiply Podcast, we're talking to Jared Terry and John Widrick discussing the question, are house churches the future? These two guys have both been a part of recently implementing into their church, so let's hear what they have to say. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. Good to be back. Yeah, guys, making it through the winter. We're into March now, which is still winter where we live, but... um getting a little bit closer to the promised land. It's been raining and a little warmer, so the snow's melting. Yes. It's actually kind of, um, in some ways, this this time period is the worst because when it's just straight snow, you can actually do stuff in it. Right now, it's like this slushy, yucky stuff that is totally useless. You can't play in it. You don't really want to go out there and roll around in it. You just... Yeah, although 45 degrees feels like 75 right now. That's why we don't have our shirts on. I mean, I was out there in just some small shorts and nothing else. Just just running through the neighborhood. Sorry for those of you that are visual thinkers. (laughs) Again, I apologize to my neighbors who saw that, but I got excited it was warmer, so... You were going through the mall at the time, Jared. (laughs) No, it is is nice to be warming up, and, um, and speaking of running... I think it's a good segue to give a little bit of update for those who are following. We started a weight loss challenge at the beginning of the year. Yeah. And uh, we're now March 1st was when we're recording this. It'll mm-hmm. be probably March 8th when it's released. So let's give the people a little update, David. How are you doing in your weight loss challenge? Well, I've, I mean, you look great. Yeah, thanks. I've taken a slightly different strategy, which is to not do the weight loss challenge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So How's that um, working? Yeah, actually, I have lost six pounds since the beginning of the year, which is like throwing deck chairs off the Titanic, but we're getting there. But, um, February, I just lost my way. You know, I had birthday parties, um, things I wanted to eat. Valentine's day. Yeah. Valentine's day. Didn't want to exercise. And so my whole strategy was, I basically told you guys what you do in four months, I can do in two months. (laughs) And so today, March 1st, as we're recording it, this is my first day of really going hard. And so I do think I'm going to catch you guys. And we're two months away from the end, right? Yeah, May 1st is the final way. And so, yeah. no, I'm I'm in last place. I'm dead last. You're you're in third, though, aren't you? There's yeah. four of us, so you're yeah. second to last. I've been trying hard, but I'm not losing weight the way the guys who are in first and second are. Yeah. These homies are dropping like four pounds every week for like two months straight now. I do want to go on record and say we don't weigh in together. So the whole thing should have an asterisk next to it. Yeah, they're probably cheating. Yeah, I think one of them weighed in carrying a couple bricks in their arms because <laughs> <laughs> that true. guy has lost so much weight in two months. I it's know, almost not healthy. Yeah, it's but not fair. I'm also exercising more than anybody, and still you are. You're in my neighborhood and you're running all the time in yeah. your little shorts. <laughs> that might be part of the problem. God's, God's not going to bless. God's, that. <laughs> God's punishing me for the little shorts. <laughs> Well, we'll we'll keep you guys posted. So far, Dave and I are both in <laughs> last and second to last. But but if you like our podcast and share it, we might lose more weight. Yeah, you never know. So, true, yeah. true. Well, thankfully, even though we're disappointments, we've got a couple of guests with us today who are not disappointments. Nice segue. Yes, um, we're really excited to be joined by two great friends of ours and. Uh, some guys that are doing some pretty cool stuff in their local church. Um, and when we started to hear about what they were doing and how they really um, leveraged the pandemic and COVID to, um, to shift their church culture and to do some new stuff um, in a way that I hadn't really heard about before, we we're like, we, we want to have you guys on and talk about this. 
And, um, and so these are great friends, John Widrick and Jared Terry, who both Dave and I have known for quite a while now. Uh, Jared serves as the executive pastor at Calvary's Love in Oswego, New York. Johnson City. Or Johnson City, near Oswego. Um, is, no, <laughs> you're thinking of a Wego. Oh, Wego. That's what I was thinking. Isn't that where your campus is? Yeah. yeah. A Wego. Sorry. Yeah, in Johnson City. Um, and then John Widrick serves as the house church pastor at their yeah. church. Before that was a longtime youth pastor. And um, they're great guys. We're so excited to hear about kind of their journey, what they've learned. And really today we want to discuss the question with them is, are our house churches the future of the church in America? Um, so, guys, welcome to the podcast. Yo, excited to be here. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah. It's a privilege. Hey, we're we excited relate. to have you. We relate. I'm, I'm going to apologize publicly here that I was late <laughs> to this this gathering. Oh, thank you for <laughs> thank you for bringing that out. We appreciate that honesty on the front end. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, give us a little background, guys. Um, maybe Jared, you could start. Then John, um, what's your background and kind of brought you to the point that you guys are at now and uh, maybe a little bit of the culture of your church that you uh, both serve at. We should have said that you both are serving at the same church. Yeah, so um, we, as far as house churches are concerned, um, you know, I don't think that <clears throat> any of us knew coming into 2020 what 2020 was going to hold, um, but it created a really unique opportunity for most churches to kind of just take a pause and really look at things like, what are we doing as a church? Um, in some ways, that was really uncomfortable for us, mm. for all of us, um, because we were put in a position of just having to figure out a lot of things on the fly. Um, but in hindsight, we saw it as a great opportunity to really just create what we call a blank slate. And so rather than being in such a hurry to just think like, man, how can we get back to church? It was more like, man, what, what does God have for the future? If we were to just kind of blank slate what we do, like what would we put back in looking forward? And so <clears throat> as we were looking at it, um, it, was, it was really apparent to us that, you know, we um, obviously couldn't meet in person. And so we had to figure out this whole online church thing and what does that look like? And uh, as we were going through that, it was like, you know, I think one of the biggest things that we had to navigate as church leaders was how am I effectively discipling someone when I'm not with them? You know, when I can't see them, mm -hmm. I can't, you know, just give their kids a hug or give them a high five or just have a conversation or sit down. And that was probably one of the most uncomfortable things for us was because of the distance and the gap that the pandemic created for us to our people. And so with that in mind, we just really started to look at that and think like, man, how can we um, effectively make disciples. And that was, <clears throat> you know, first of all, it, it put us in this position where um, because because of the fact that March was when the pandemic hit, then all of a sudden, um, you know, we were only online. It got to a point where we said, okay, we think we can get back to services. We get back to services, but then um, find out that somebody, you know, had the, had the virus, we had to close. Um, I don't know how it, it's different for everybody and our listeners probably are in different states and different places that, you know, but for us in New York, basically it's, it was that like, you know, that got reported every time there was a case that was going to be reported. And so then because that was reported, we had to close our doors. And honestly, we just really fell out of control. We fell out of control of the decisions that were being made, like they were being made for us. And so 
while we're trying to make these decisions about how can we really make disciples and kind of blank slating it at the same time we're just trying to make decisions of can our doors be open mm -hmm. or are our doors closed and it seemed like we weren't in the driver's seat and we talked about it as church leaders like man we want to get in the driver's seat on this and we want to make sure that um we're not being told to close our doors but we're really you know deciding when we're having church and when we're not and so we came up with a really unique idea that what we would do is we would have in-person services bi-weekly and that would allow us to basically have a built-in quarantine period where basically there's 14 days between every time that our doors were open and so that would allow us to where we wouldn't have to ever really be in a position where someone was telling us that we had to close our doors the next week our people knew what to count on and they knew what to expect but naturally as leaders we were like we weren't comfortable with having 50 percent of an impact as far as you know uh, being with our people and being with our church and so we really looked at the fact that man if we want to make disciples then what would it look like if we were to actually start to um, just launch what we call house churches and uh, and so that kind of led us on that journey so i'm interested was this something that was brewing in you guys before COVID happened like this a little bit of discontent as far as um because we we should say you're you guys are both part of a very large church it's one of the largest churches in new york and for the assemblies of god like um easy to look at metrics and stats and go hey we're doing a great job we're super successful um was there something in you though that before COVID was going I don't know, are we really are we really getting this discipleship thing down? Is there something missing? Or was this just simply COVID happened and it was like, hey, we got the quarantine, let's do something else. Like what was there something starting before before COVID happened for you guys? Yeah, I mean, um so actually right before COVID, I literally just finished uh Letters to the Church with Francis Chan and he started a movement called We Are Church, which is basically all house churches. Um, and so I actually approached Jared probably what, two weeks or three weeks before everything all shut down. And I, mm -hmm. I was just charged at, oh man, we need to go to California cause they offer training, uh, where you can actually go to California. You can go into their network and you can experience everything hands-on ask questions. Um, and so I was really charged to do that. You know, I just thought there was a really unique element of what uh francis was talking about and uh just a, a lot of interest on my end and i i talked to jared about it and he was just as excited and then literally you know over obviously a couple weeks later you know there was no flights going anywhere and so you know we basically put a pin on that um so yeah there there was a lot of interest and i i you know you mentioned the fact that growing up in church which you know jared and i both have i think all of us can agree that sometimes you can end up um, unintentionally not knowing a lot of the people that are coming to your location on a regular basis. You have to be very intentional about uh, having relationship um, just because of the way that we have established the way that we do church. And so what can happen is we all have seen it and you know, where you, you could go to church and you, you don't pe know people's names or so on and so forth. And uh, you know, that's, that's not a good place to be in. Right. And so as you grow, you, we have to be all that more intentional about creating, um, 
uh, situations where people can uh, have relationship and that we can get to know each other and that we can know what's happening in their life and we can know what's happening in their families and we know if there's something wrong with their house or what they're going through and how do we have that um, where we can consistently be able to be involved in each other's life versus just uh, at scheduled events. And I think when we get into that idea of like, hey, we're in we're, these are the scheduled events that we have, whether it's a midweek or a Sunday, um, it, you can almost, I know for myself, can almost compartmentalize when you do church. And I think that could be really unhealthy. And um, what we've seen as we've even ventured into house church, which we've been doing it since November um, of 2020, that that has really broken a lot of that apart in huge ways. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like you guys have had a lot of internal conversations about what it looks like to make disciples and what discipleship outcomes should look like and some of the limitations maybe of a church building centered discipleship strategy where people come and consume a spiritual good and then forget about it and go and live their lives and come back next week for another spiritual Mm -hmm. good. Um, So talk to us a little bit about what you've learned in this season as far as how this model, because this is a different strategy. Mm -hmm. What I've heard you also say is like your mission of making disciples has never changed, right? Pre-COVID, during COVID, now somewhat post-COVID. That hasn't changed for you guys. You've always been about making disciples. You're you're utilizing a new strategy right now, maybe a new mindset on what that might look like. Talk to us a little bit about what you're learning doing these house churches, about how it's helping you guys actually um, accomplish your mission more effectively. How you is there a way that you guys are measuring that? And part two, uh, is this something that you guys feel like because it was birthed out of a specific season where you kind of almost thought this makes the most sense right now, mm-hmm. right? But we're going to get out of this eventually. In mm-hmm. some ways, we're kind of beyond some of this getting shut down every other week mm-hmm. realities. But you're still doing this, right? This is still the model of the church at this point. Yeah. yeah. So, so just kind of speaking to that a little bit, like what have you learned? And then looking forward, does this feel like this is you guys? Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're convinced this is it moving forward? Or was it first season? Or is it going to evolve? And yeah. I know you don't have all the answers because we're all learning. But where are you at right now? Yeah, well, and the reason why I started with the story behind it was that I think it's important for people. I know so many of the listeners are probably dealing with the fact that they are dealing with challenges. They are dealing with questions that they're asking all the time they're dealing with shutdowns they're dealing with all of the the results of the pandemic the national average of really 50 percent or less are back to in-person services and so i think to know that this can actually be a good thing that it can actually like cause us to actually become better and more effective at what we do um is actually an encouragement Mm -hmm. you know and hopefully somebody listening today is like man how can this actually be used and leveraged for our good not just a negative. Um, for us, our discipleship process is see love, be love, which is that we, we just believe that people need to see the love of Christ and then be the love of Christ. Very simple. That's really what we're all about. That's what we're trying to do. That's every decision that we make is driven through how are we helping people to see the love of Christ and then be the love of Christ. And so we have three steps in that. And the first step is our celebration service, which is um, bi-weekly. And that's where we get together in our buildings. And that's where like they can come in and first experience seeing the love of Christ through worship, through, you know, people walking through our doors and um, just the way that they're, you know, met by people as they come in, the gospel being preached. This is where they're seeing the love of Christ. But we don't really feel that you can fully see the love of Christ until you're in a discipleship environment. And so 
The second step to our discipleship process is our house churches. And that's where we always want to be pushing that second step in our first step. So every celebration service, we're showing people um, a, a video of, of a house church. We're giving them a next step opportunity to be, be part of a house church. And really, this is where they're brought into what we call the three essentials of discipleship, which is a discipleship environment, personal devotion, and a one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationship. And so none of that is something that we came up with. Like all of that is something that Jesus modeled and something that, you know, he showed us like coming here, like his whole plan was, I'm going to have my whole plan riding for salvation on 12 guys that I'm bringing close to me and just living life with, right? Mm -hmm. So when we say discipleship environment, that's what we're really defining a house church as is like a smaller gathering of people meeting in a home that can really just share life with each other and get to know each other. Through that, that's where a one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationship can be established because it's organic and it's natural. It's not in this larger gathering where it's like you're getting paired with someone you barely know, mm -hmm. but it's in an environment where you're in someone's home and you're already sharing a meal with them every other week. You're already getting to know them. And then that personal devotion piece is so key because that's where you're really going through the word and you're really going through scripture. And so for us, the way that we model that is that we have, you know, we take our church through scripture and they know, okay, right now we're going through the book of Mark, for example. And so at our celebration service, it might be Mark 1. And then the next week in house church, we're looking at Mark 2. And then back to celebration, Mark 3, back to house church, Mark 4. So they're really looking through the scripture and they're really reading it and coming into the gathering, whether it's at the celebration service, large gathering or at the house church. And they know they've already been looking at that. They've already been talking, you know, talking with their families about it. And so they're coming in ready to just break down that word and talk more about it. Um, and then our third step in our um, discipleship process is missional living. And this is where we just feel like, you know, we can't. That's where we're really pushing people to that be love piece where we have to be the love of Christ. We have to bring others with us on the journey and come alongside with us. And so we, we've just seen that like through this what we're what we're seeing is like that people are actually that people that were on the fringes are actually starting to get connected mm. like people that were getting lost in a crowd at a large gathering are actually starting to like have a meaningful relationship and be walked through um, and discipled by someone in a house church and actually we're in the beginning where we would kind of have a, like a little shout out time to our house churches at the celebration service. You'd hear maybe a few little people, woo, you know, just here and there. And now if, you, if we do that, it's like a roar across the whole crowd because what we're seeing is that the same amount of people that are coming out to a celebration service are the same amount of people that are in a house church. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing those metrics actually consistently grow in both the first and second part of our discipleship process. Yeah, that's really that's cool. Good. One of the things I love that you said is the idea that um, people are having meaningful relationships. Um, we've talked a lot about this, about the the loneliness of so many people in our churches and um, just seeing each other in a large group gathering and how many people like say, hey, how you doing, whatever, you know, yeah. nice to see you. And then they get in their cars and mm -hmm. they all leave and they're going, I wish I had... I wish I had good friends, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, Can I jump in on Dave's question real yeah, quick too? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. One of the things that Dave, what, that you said, Dave, was strategy for the discipleship process. Uh, we actually, 
listened to one of your podcasts a while ago and you highlighted a book called simple church and so really really great book if you haven't read that listen to that podcast that um that dave and jared did on that one um and then pick up that book because that was a huge help for us while we were going through this too but the big thing that i learned through this is that one um the discipleship process is key you have to know what that is two that god isn't um isn't defined by a specific pattern or strategy. And so one of the things that encouraged me is like when you look at Mark 8, for example, and um, and, and you, he, you see where Jesus heals a blind uh, man at Bethsaida, is he, it's, a, it's a healing that takes place where he is, isn't healed instantly. Mm-hmm. And so you see Jesus where he's constantly doing these things in different ways. And it's showing constantly that he isn't, he isn't going to do something the same exact way. And so I think it's important because house churches and there's so many things that are happening right now with like the way that the church is looking to, to establish their discipleship process and what they're looking to do is that they, they don't get so uh, captivated by the strategy. Um, but they, they, they're, they're focused on the mission. Mm-hmm. And so that's the most important thing is like, Hey, we're focused on the mission to make disciples. What does that look like in the future with house church? And when things start to kind of move forward, we, we don't know. Like, we just know that we're going to make disciples. We know that we we uh, want to have relationship with people, that we want to have hos- extreme hospitality in the way that we live our lives. Uh, so we're focused on the mission. And I think the church loves to jump on the, the, the new things where it's like, oh, the house church, okay, so we all got to drop everything we're doing. And this is the new way that God is going to move. And if we don't do it, then we're missing something. And then, you know, they kind of start to look at the large that's gathering. What I've been, that's what I've been saying to David, actually, ever since we had that conversation. <laughs> he just wants to sleep in every other Sunday. So, uh, <laughs> but what what I've experienced, though, as far as, and what I've also, I've learned is that how, how we don't use our homes uh in the way that I believe that God wants us to. Yeah. I've really seen that, that the church has got really comfortable with being in a building because it doesn't cost them anything to be in a building. Yeah. No one's going to spill anything on your rug. The kids aren't going to run around and create chaos. You know, uh, you, you get to compartmentalize everything. Yeah. There's no intergenerational ministry happening. Uh, every, everybody's just kind of compartmentalized. And so that you can have this real neat and tidy environment. And house church, one thing it does do is it blows all that up. So mm-hmm. you go into a, a, a home um, and you realize how how your uh, your flesh gets in the way because things in your house are being removed and chairs are all moved around and people yep. accidentally drop stuff on your rug and so on and so forth. And so you start to really realize that you're holding tight to things that, uh, you know, that you shouldn't hold tight to and that God has given your home for hospitality. So I have learned that in huge ways that like, man, and I've seen that in, tr- in our people in our church too, like some that are just ex- have a gift of hospitality, but some that like, man, that was a challenge for them. Like mm-hmm. they really had to just like, Oh, this is, this is tough, but it's been awesome to see like what God has done in that with us opening up our homes on that end of things. So I want to just kind of pause and like really talk about that because, you know, Paul gives a list to Timothy of what you should look for in elders. And he kind of just sneaks in there the word hospitable. And mm-hmm. I think it's maybe the most overlooked qualification of spiritual leadership. And we live in a super individualized, isolated world here in, 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 in America in this current period of history, right? Where like we all kind of go into our homes and we see our neighbors when we go to take the trash out or we go to get the mail, but then we all disappear back into our homes. 
And that same thing can extend to disappearing into church buildings. Mm -hmm. I mean, the people of God can literally disappear into a church building and then lose their saltiness and their light of the world status in the community in which God has specifically rooted them. But I think um, Paul doesn't say people who have the gift of hospitality should be hospitable. He's just saying if you're going to be an elder, if you're going to be a spiritual leader, if you're going to be a pastor. I mean, how many pastors with any sort of regularity especially of maybe larger churches, open up their homes to people. I mean, mm-hmm. in some ways, the home becomes a place where you hide and you retreat. And there's some yeah. value in that, of course, too. But I really appreciate you saying that because I think one of the one of the principles that we can pull out of what you're saying is, is what is it costing you to live on mission? Mm-hmm. How is your how's your life inconvenienced other than getting the kids ready on Sunday morning mm-hmm. and getting them out the door? And for many people what it means to quote unquote be a disciple is just to show up and sing a few songs and hope the preacher's interesting or funny and then just go on and live the rest of your life. And so what I, what I also appreciate about you is you're saying grab these principles, but don't fall in love with this strategy because you know, in business they say, love the, don't fall in love with the solutions, fall in love with the problem. Mm-hmm. And the problem before the church is that there's a world of people who need to be reconciled to Jesus and to one another. That's what we're about. Um, this strategy, because some churches would listen to you and say, this is exactly what we're trying to do, but we're doing it this way. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. great because God does want to give each of us sort of his own strategy for the location, the people that he's called us to reach. So yeah. um, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, I'm interested just in, in maybe we can get into, if somebody's listening and they're just curious, and Jared, you laid out for us really well your guys' discipleship pathway, your language, which is so memorable. I don't think I'll ever forget that. See, love, be love. That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I wish Jared would see love and be loved more often. <laughs> yeah, I need to be discipled. If only I had a good pastor. <laughs> He's made it a lot easier with those short shorts, though. Yes. <laughs> yeah, trying to get to see yeah. him. In. Yeah, no one wants to see that or be that. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I'm curious to just you know, when you gather in those homes, right? What does that look like? Like, do you, have you given your church home church pastors? Um, some some very clear understanding mm-hmm. of like how that time should be spent uh and what resources are you providing as the local church sort of as the elders of that church to help them facilitate a time that's you know nothing wrong with just hanging out but ultimately i think house church is probably more than just hanging out so yeah. what does that look like well maybe i'll give the biblical piece and then john you can kind of talk more practically to it sure but we when we were, we're talking about what does this look like we we wanted to not necessarily just think about that and just decide ourselves what we think it should look like. But we really wanted to drive um, the Acts 2 model. And actually, just to just to give a little like context to that, I, I remember preaching, like before all this happened, I remember preaching Acts 2, you know, 42 to 47, this piece where like you're seeing the church and they're like, they're breaking bread in homes and having fellowship. And it says they sold all their possessions to care for each other's needs and like, I'm preaching through this with this tension in me of the fact of like, this is not what I see in the church in America. Like what I see in the church in America is consumerism. I see like what you just talked about a minute ago, Dave, where it's like, we come in, we hope that the preacher's good or he's got a funny joke or a good word that's going to really help me. And, you know, and then we kind of, you know, maybe some, some feel good things or whatever it might be that we're looking for, maybe to see our friend, I don't know. But then we go, it's really like this consumeristic culture that we live in and the church has become a byproduct of that. And I was feeling this tension with the fact that in Acts 2, it's, it's just so different from what I see 
in the church in America where like they're they're literally selling everything they have to care for the needs of each other. Um, they're meeting daily. They're meeting in homes. It said they met in homes and in the temple courts. Um, and I'm just, I was almost disheartened at the end of the sermon because I felt like, is is what I'm preaching something that just needs to land on the hearts of the people that so that we can sort of do that within the context of how we live as Christians? Or do we just need a big bomb to blow up within the context of how we live as Christians? Like, do we just actually need to take an honest look at how we operate as the church and just say, we're missing it. Like, we're just kind of all missing it here. Yeah. And so I feel like for the first time with, with where we've moved, you know, again, like John said, it's not about a strategy. It's just about what does the Bible actually say? And are we being obedient to that? And for the first time, I just was like realizing that like, man, this is something where I feel like we're actually obeying scripture now. And yeah. so when, it, when we talk about what happens to your question, what happens in the house church, it says in Acts 2, it says that they had fellowship, they broke bread, they had committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, mm-hmm. right? And they prayed. And so when we talk about what do we want to make sure is happening in a house church, it's those four things. Mm-hmm. We want there to be fellowship, conversation, connection. We want there uh, to be food. Yeah, we can all celebrate that. Mm-hmm. And it, we want there to be, you know, the apostles' teaching is the word of God, and we want there to be prayer. And so if those yeah. four things are there, we're winning. And, you know, that's that's kind of like what was driving the content of the gathering. Yeah, I have to give a big shout out to all our house church leaders because they really are the heroes. They are. They, I mean, to, just to see like what happens on a Sunday, knowing that there's there is something that is really special about not being in a large building on a Sunday and people coming to your house specifically on a Sunday. There's almost something like, I'll remember the, I'll never forget the first house church that we had where people came in and I looked at my wife and I said, it's a Sunday and we're having church in our house. This is wild. <laughs> never in my wildest dreams that I think that I would ever be able to say that, that I would, I would just be doing that because we're just so caught up in like, Hey, we go to church on Sunday and we go to a building. Yeah. And so we saw, I, I live out in the sticks. Like I live like 30 minutes away from where we have our church building. And I had people still to this day, I have 20 something people come to my house on house on a Sunday. They don't live anywhere near me. I mean, I have people driving 30, 35, 40 minutes away to come to come to a house church and they come every single time that we're open. And we've seen that consistently throughout all of the locations. And so when people come in, like Jared said, what they're going to see is that we're, we're going to have a time together where we have, have food. We're going to have a time where we just really allow ourselves to not be rushed. So if you think of like a Sunday morning service, usually we're like, hey, we want an hour, 15 minute service, right? So we're boom, boom, in, out, transitions. We all get focused on this. We have our planning service, service schedules, and everything is laid out perfectly. And this is, I mean, we, your house church goes till three, four o'clock sometimes. Jerry. Yeah. We start at 10. We <laughs> almost never have the last person leave before three or four. Yeah, I and, mean, sometimes later. Yeah. And say with us, we, you know, we just make a, at a point as a family, like, Hey, Sunday, we're just going to love on people and they come in and we just, we allow it to just be what it is. And so sometimes there's a different relation, a different family that might stay a little bit longer. Um, and we just have a real great time of, of connection with them. Um, I've seen within the first house church that um, there was people that have been going to our church for years that did not even know who each other were. And I just thought to myself, this is insane. Yeah. 
and I've heard that consistently all through the, the you know, throughout many conversations that we've had with um, our house church leaders. And, and you guys were running multiple services, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, multiple which, services. Which only and huge midweeks. the issue of the church doesn't really. Sure. You got people come the first, people right. come the second. They wouldn't even know that they go to the same. Well, and, and also, like, when it comes to, you know, the people coming to the church, like, if they're coming in and we're scheduling, we're like, man, no longer than an hour and a half you know, regardless of the length of your service, there's a goal that you want to respect people's time. Mm-hmm. We have the same thing with our house churches. It's the nursery workers you want to respect their time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They but will it, have a mutiny. But, <laughs> but what is it about the nursery workers that are like, man, we got to get these kids out like they're going crazy. But that in a house church, for example, my house church, we have 12 kids all under the age of 10. And these people want to stay. The yeah. kids are like losing their minds when their parents are telling them it's time to go. Yeah, I mean, what it what is different about that? Why why is that that way? Why is it that people you know we don't go till four o'clock because that's how long we're carrying on with, like let's say the content or you know of our of our gathering. It's just because people are connecting and right. they just want to yeah. continue to build relationship and share life. And so the quality of those conversations within the house church are incredible, and the fact that there's actual biblical community happening to where people want to stick around. I mean, it's unthinkable to think that you're going to have a Sunday morning service in a building that starts at 10 a.m. and people are going to leave at three. Yeah. It just wouldn't happen. Right. But in the house churches, that's exactly what's happening. The other thing that we've seen too, which is huge, is we've seen a a massive uh, influx of intergenerational ministry happening. So I remember, you know, I've been in youth ministry for a long time and I know we've all been at this table, have been in youth ministry or still are in some ways. And, um, one of the things that we're always trying to do is recruit youth leaders, right? Oh, hey, we need, you know, youth leaders. We need people that are going to serve. So we've seen uh, just organically because people are coming in with kids, people are coming in with teens, that there's just this intergenerational mentorship happening. So like in our house church, for example, I literally have said, hey, I need someone who's willing to mentor this girl. And they're like, hey, I will do that. And now I have house church leaders that have never been involved in youth ministry and they're mentoring, uh, you know, an 18 year old girl and just doing life with her. And uh, and I've done the same thing. There was t- we had teenage boys that have been to our church, uh, my house church for uh, or excuse me, they've been to our large gathering for years and they haven't been to our youth program at all and then they come to house church and then now i'm able to disciple them um every week and jared does the same thing Mm -hmm. and so it's just this really intergenerational ministry that's happening Mm -hmm. and i saw this when i my son just started doing karate and i saw this when he went and started doing karate too it blew my mind how like you had these black belt instructors you had all these different levels of uh of people that had these different belts and, and you know their their ability to do karate but they were all doing it at the same time all different ages all intergenerational and they would they would move forward together they would stop together no matter what belt they were yeah and i like saw this and i'm looking out in amazement like man there's like a white belt guy who's you know probably 60 something and then my son is a white belt and they're all connected and the instructor moves them all forward and i just thought what an interesting approach and this is obviously not, you know, a church organization. This is, you know, they're doing karate. But it just made me realize that this can be done. Yeah. Where we can, we don't have to compartmentalize, that we can actually walk together. And uh, and I've also seen really 
that it's really interesting when you move teens in with adults and kids in with adults that they actually step up to a new level too, where they're yeah. not like, you know, you, right. you gather 60 teens in a room and it's like a prison yard. And then all of a sudden now you have those teens and they're intergenerational and kids like all of a sudden now they're stepping up to a new level um, in their behavior and the way that they're communicating. So I've seen that too, which has been really special. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to part one of our discussion on our house churches, the future. We're looking forward to being back with you in the next episode as we continue our conversation with Jared Terry and John Widrick. So don't miss out. Feel free to check our next episode out. We're going to continue this conversation. As always, feel free to like, subscribe, give us five stars to help spread the word. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you on the next one.